Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo, taking you through your Friday evening for the next hour. We've got a lot of big games coming up tonight in the NBA. I'll touch on the situations with the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks, both just minutes away from tipping off. We'll get to the Debo Samuel drama out in the Bay Area. And Mike Golick Jr., my man, is joining the show to talk all things NFL draft. And I'm sure knowing him, get a few laughs in as well. You're listening to the Believe Hour right now on SportsMap Radio. I want to remind you all that Believe is the best network for podcasts, any team, any topic. If you want a podcast, we've got it over at Believe.com. That's Believe, B-L-E-A-V.com. You know, before we dive into the NBA playoffs and the NFL draft is just six days away, crazy to think we're finally there after, you know, way too much coverage over the past couple of months. I want to use the opening minute or so to gloat a little bit because the last time I was on these airwaves, opening day in the MLB was less than a week away. And in closing on that episode of Sorallo Sports Talk, I gave my preseason World Series prediction. And look, we are just, you know, anywhere between like 13 and 16 games into the season, not even 10% through. There is a ton of baseball to be played. But man, do I look like I was spot on about these New York Mets, about my New York Mets. Playing the best baseball in the MLB. First team to 10 wins, 10 of four, getting ready for already their second and last series with the Arizona Diamondbacks. First pitch is coming up in just a couple of hours. And without their best pitcher, maybe even best player, multiple times Cy Young Award winner Jacob deGrom, the New York Mets look absolutely amazing. We'll be back with some NBA playoffs coverage. Stay tuned. You're listening to Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. Back here on Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo, taking you through the hour on this Friday evening. If you want behind-the-scenes footage of my show, make sure you hit me up on socials, on Instagram, at Joe Sorallo, on Twitter at the Joe Sorallo. We've got a lot to get to here in the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio. I'll be giving my take coming up on the Debo Samuel situation. Mike Golick Jr. will be joining the show to talk about all things NFL and the NFL draft. But we're in full swing of the first round of the NBA playoffs. So let's get to it. The NBA playoffs so far have been absolutely decimated by injuries. And yet we're still seeing great basketball. I mean, this has been one of the most exciting, unpredictable first rounds I can remember. Usually, with the exception of maybe two or three series, the first round is a cakewalk. And so far, that has not been the case. I I mean, through, you know, two to three games, depending on the series, almost every team has a chance right now. And in some cases, it's shocking. You look at the Dallas Mavericks, right? Luka Doncic has missed all three games, yet somehow Dallas holds a two to one series lead over the Utah Jazz, despite dropping game one at home. Now let's look at the reigning champs and the reigning Western Conference champs. The two teams in the finals last year, 
They'll both be tipping off shortly after this show concludes, and they're both missing crucial pieces. Devin Booker, the best player, the leading scorer on the best team in basketball, the Phoenix Suns, he's going to be out two to three weeks with a grade one right hamstring strain. And then on the flip side, the Milwaukee Bucks are going to be without their Robin to Giannis Antetokounmpo's Batman. Chris Middleton is going to be out at least two weeks, per my man Woj's report yesterday. He has an MCL sprain in his left knee. I mean, look, Middleton may not mean to the Bucks what Devin Booker means to the Phoenix Suns, but those are still two crucial pieces that teams that are both trying to get back, both expecting to get back to the NBA Finals this year, are going to be without for at least two, maybe three weeks or more. And in fact, this has changed the entire betting landscape of the NBA playoffs. We actually have new betting favorites per bet online. The Golden State Warriors are now the favorites to win the NBA Finals, plus 275. Pretty rare that at this point, so early in the first round, a three seed would be the betting favorites. But Steph Curry's back. He looks amazing for Golden State. They're plus 275, followed by the Boston Celtics with the next best odds at plus 475 in the midst of their 2-0 series lead against the Brooklyn Nets. The Phoenix Suns, who were barely favorable to bet on going into the postseason, they're all the way down to 5-1. They still have the third best odds, but 5-1, I mean, when the postseason started, if you bet on them then, the value was awful compared to what it is now. It was about plus 150, and the Bucks have dropped to the fifth best odds at plus 750. Those are the reigning champs at plus 750. The one missing link there, the fourth best odds, Miami, is currently plus 725. Let's look at how both of these injuries are going to impact each team, because like I said, they're tipping off in just minutes, and you look at Phoenix, not counting the three games at the very end of the season where they just absolutely laid down, they had locked up the one seed with plenty of time to go this year. They were eight and three in their first 11 games without Devin Booker. Now, That would tell me that I think Phoenix should be fine in this series against New Orleans. But the New Orleans Pelicans are a very different team than the Pelicans that we saw at the beginning of the season. I mean, since acquiring C.J. McCollum, he's put up the best stretch of basketball throughout his entire career. It was only 26 games, but he averaged 24 points per game and nearly six dimes per game with New Orleans, if he kept those averages up for a full season, it would be his best statistical season of his NBA career. Brandon Ingram has looked great back to his all-star form from a couple of years ago when he was most improved player in the NBA. I mean, right now, that is a really deadly duo of McCollum and then Ingram, who, you know, I just mentioned how on a per-night basis, he's looking back to his all-star form. How about game two, when he just coming off a fresh 37-piece? I mean, the Pelicans... They're no joke. They had an absolutely awful, embarrassing, abysmal start to the season. Started the year 3-16. Since then, they finished out the regular season, 33-30, above 500. And they're 3-1 so far since the conclusion of the regular season, winning two do-or-die play-in games, and so far splitting with Phoenix before headed back to New Orleans. This is a legit team. Now, am I going to sit here and tell you, That they're going to win the series? No, I'm not going to be that bold. I'm not going to be that brash. I still believe in the Phoenix Suns. Like I said, up until those final three games where they rested everyone at the end of April, eight and three without Devin Booker when it actually mattered. So I'm still buying the Phoenix Suns. I think, you know, Chris Paul, obviously, 
Phoenix has been my pick all season, right? This is the year Chris Paul gets his ring. I'm not going to renege on that now. DeAndre Ayton, one of the best big men in the game. But past that, Mikhail Bridges is an absolute beast. I mean, he has had an incredible season. I trust him as much as anyone on the court with the ball in his hands in crunch time. Jay Crowder needs to wake up, but the two Cams, campaign Cam Johnson, they've been consistent all year, averaging you know around double digits a game. I think the Phoenix Suns are going to be fine. It's not going to be a you know sweep or a Suns in five the way it probably would have been had Booker never gotten hurt in game two. It might take six games, maybe even a seventh, but I think Phoenix is going to be fine. They need to tread water, get to the next round. That's where it's going to be tough. If you have to take on Dallas with Luka back and you still don't have Devin Booker, it is not going to come easy. But at the end of the day, I'm still riding with the Suns. Look, Booker got hurt, I hate to say it, at the right time. You know, no time is the right time, but better now than in the conference finals against Golden State or Memphis or, you know, in the championship against Milwaukee for a second straight year. Better now than then. So I think Phoenix will be able to tread water, let him get back, let him get right. The Suns will be okay. The Milwaukee Bucks, on the other hand, this is concerning. Now, look, unlike Phoenix, they didn't lose their best player. They didn't lose Giannis, but... The Chicago Bulls did a really good job in game two at neutralizing Giannis for most of the game, most of the first three quarters. I still think Milwaukee wins this series in no more than six games. I don't see it going to seventh. My gut tells me that the Bucs, even without Chris Middleton, rattle off three straight and win it in five. If you've heard anything I've said all season, you know how I feel about the Chicago Bulls. You know I have zero faith in Billy Donovan's team, especially come the postseason when teams actually have to play defense. Now look, I'll give the Bulls credit. They've played much better defense so far this postseason than I thought that they were capable of doing. But DeMar DeRozan is not going to do what he did in game two on a nightly basis. Not against Milwaukee, one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. So I I think eventually the Bulls are just going to run out of gas. I think Milwaukee right now, what they're looking ahead to is, shoot, Boston. Without Chris Middleton, that's going to be a challenge because the Nets are not coming back. The Celtics are winning that series. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, it was cute. You guys made it out of the play-in series, looked really dominant against Cleveland. They're not getting past the Celtics. To me, Milwaukee might not without Chris Middleton. Now, this is a team, look, I called for it, and I know rematches are rare, and I hate rematches. I called for a Milwaukee-Phoenix rematch, but this time with Phoenix winning... I don't know if that can happen. I still have faith in Phoenix to get there. You know, they have the benefit of being the one seed, having the easiest first round matchup possible. I think they can, you know, get to the conference finals, let Booker get back and get right. Milwaukee without Chris Middleton in that next round, when you're going up against Jason Tatum and the depth that guys like Jalen Brown provide, and all of a sudden Al Horford looks like he's 27 years old again, that's going to be a really tough, tall task for the Bucs. But for now... Get to business against Chicago, against a team that you didn't only beat four times, all four times that you faced in the regular season. You embarrassed them three out of the four times that you faced them. Get right, beat them, get rest between the next series, root at this point for Brooklyn to come back, win a couple games for that series to go longer, and then get Middleton back ASAP because Milwaukee is going to need Chris Middleton in the next round much more, much more than Phoenix is going to need Devin Booker at the moment. Middleton's injury scares me a whole lot more than this Booker deal, but other teams need to capitalize now. You know, the Philadelphia 76ers have a chance to sweep Toronto and get rest before the next round. Teams that 
may not be the best, but may be the healthiest. That could be what pays dividends this NBA postseason. Not talent, but just durability and staying on the court. When we come back, I'm giving my take on this Debo Samuel situation because I think the 49ers are making a huge mistake. So stick with me, Joe Serralo, right here on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Map Radio. We're back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. You're dialed into the Believe Hour here on Sports Map Radio this Friday evening. And just a reminder, if you want behind-the-scenes footage of the show, make sure you follow me on socials. I'm on Instagram, at Joe Serralo, on Twitter, at the Joe Serralo. We've got Mike Golick Jr. ready to join the show, as promised, in the next segment. He's going to break down the NFL draft. We'll dive into that and some of his personal ventures as well. But right now, just six days away from the NFL draft next Thursday night in Las Vegas, that might not even be the biggest story in the NFL. Debo Samuel has joined the list. He is the latest star-wide receiver to want out of his current situation, asking for a trade away from the San Francisco 49ers. And this is problematic for San Fran. Look, Debo joins A.J. Brown with Tennessee, D.K. Metcalf with Seattle as stud wideouts who are not happy with their current situation, who either want a pay raise or don't like how they're being spoken about, don't like the state that they're Team is currently in, in DK's case, with Seattle going into a full-on rebuild mode. But the 49ers, this is a team that was just in the NFC Championship game a year ago. They, They were a couple minutes, a couple of plays going differently from replacing the Rams and participating in Super Bowl 56 against Cincinnati down here at SoFi Stadium. The Niners would not have been in that position without Debo Samuel. Are there other factors? Yes, football is the ultimate team game. They had a great offensive line. Their defense, specifically their front seven, was incredible. But on offense, when you look at the skill positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, the 49ers would not have been able to compete with the LA Rams for almost 60 minutes if they didn't have a guy like Debo. They wouldn't have even made it to the NFC Championship game if they didn't have Debo Samuel. I mean, this guy is a Swiss army knife, right? They ask him to do things that no other wide receiver does. He is one of one. And so if you're going to have a guy who you ask to be a Swiss army knife, who you ask to do things that no other wide receiver does, who you ask to be one of one, you have to pay him like he's one of one. You know, you want to talk about value to your respective team. Debo Samuel is comparable with Cooper Cup. And I know Cooper Cup, just from a purely wide receiver perspective, had a record-setting, incredible, historic season. And of course, Cooper Cup ended up capping his season off with a Super Bowl win. But Debo Samuel, if you compare his value to his respective team, might even be more valuable because the 49ers might not have made it as far as the Rams did if you take Debo away, as opposed to if you were to take Cooper Cup away from the Rams. And look, right now, Everyone's saying, you know, Cooper Cup deserves to be paid. He deserves to be the highest paid wide receiver in the game. Well, if Debo Samuel is just as valuable to his respective team, if not more valuable, I'm not going to sit here and argue he should be the highest paid receiver in the game. I don't think he's as good a receiver as Tyreek Hill, as Devontae Adams, but he's damn close. And Debo Samuel absolutely deserves to go and get his bag. I I mean, this is an absolutely nightmarish scenario for the San Francisco 49ers. You have a guy who is just 26 years old, has played in the NFL just three seasons, who was the fifth leading receiver in terms of just receiving yards alone last year, 
but also in addition to having over 1,400 receiving yards with a subpar quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo, ran for almost 400 yards. No other wide receiver in the NFL ran for over 100. Tyreek Hill was next up at 96 rushing yards. So you have Debo, who nearly quadrupled Tyreek Hill's rushing production, all while being the fifth leading wide receiver. I mean, I know that right now the 49ers have no draft capital and maybe they're using this to try to collect some picks. Who are you going to find that is better than Debo? He's 26. So, you know, you might go younger. You'll definitely go cheaper. You're not going to find better. And good luck finding someone who at 26 years old will be more productive in this scheme, in this Kyle Shanahan offense than Debo Samuel was just last season. Then Debo Samuel will be in a season. The 49ers are taking a huge step backwards here. And not paying Debo, look, I get it at times when athletes, you know, want to say, all right, time to pay me. It might not be in the best interest of the team every single time. I fully understand that. The 49ers need Debo Samuel way more than Debo Samuel needs the 49ers. Say say they pull off a trade, right? Look at the Jets, for example. They're picking fourth and 10th. Say the 49ers pull off a deal here and Devontae Adams got two first round picks in return. Say the Niners get a couple first round picks. So they're drafting 10th. Who are they going to take at 10? That'll make a bigger impact on this team than Debo. If you're going wide out, who are you going to take? Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State? I think he's a baller. I think he's going to be a great NFL wide receiver. I don't think he fits in Kyle Shanahan's scheme the same way Debo Samuel does. Who are you going to take? Drake London? I mean, this guy, you know, again, baller, jump ball, quarterbacks may love him. He's going to add nothing to the rushing game. I don't see a receiver in this draft class. I don't see another receiver in the NFL outside of maybe Tyreek Hill who can do what Debo does. And Tyreek Hill is getting a little old to be doing what Debo does. That's what I mean when I say this guy is one of one. And so he can go elsewhere and he can get paid and he can do his thing and be successful, probably be less of a running back in other systems. Kyle Shanahan is demanding more of him than I think any other coach would in their scheme. And yet the Niners aren't willing to pay him. It just makes no sense to me. You know, look, the A.J. Brown situation, I don't know what's going on down there in Tennessee. I know that the Titans, similarly to the 49ers, cannot afford to lose A.J. Brown because without him, what do they have in terms of wideouts? Yes, you have Derrick Henry, but you can't throw the ball. You've got a mediocre quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. The Julio Jones experiment was a failed one. If A.J. Brown leaves the Titans, they've got nothing in terms of a passing offense. And then you've got the D.K. situation, which, look, I mean, D.K. can be a bit of a head case, but the Seahawks are also right now just an absolute disaster. This makes the least amount of sense because the 49ers are a team that was a few minutes away from the Super Bowl a year ago and now doesn't want to pay the man who is flat out their best player. Their best player, either side of the ball. Like I said, great O-line, great front seven. Debo Samuel is their best player. Pay up. You've got a subpar quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo who because of Debo Samuel and Debo Samuel alone was able to make it to his second NFC Championship game in three years. I mean, George Kittle was injured, was, you know, good, but did not have a George Kittle all-pro type season. Debo Samuel carried this team, specifically carried this offense, and I think losing him would be the biggest mistake out of any team to lose any receiver. I mean, right up there with Green Bay losing Devontae Adams, because I don't think the Green Bay Packers can compete in the NFC without Devontae. I don't think that the San Francisco 49ers can compete in this really weak, really light NFC without Debo. I think it would have been hard anyway because of the limitations that Jimmy G provides being your quarterback. But the NFC 
is essentially a two-team race. It's the Tampa Bay Bucks, the LA Rams, the two defending champs. I don't see Green Bay competing without Devontae Adams. And the 49ers, you know, Shanahan's a great coach, and they win in different ways. You know, they've got that mirage of running backs that, you know, just constantly, it doesn't matter every week, it could be someone different. They constantly produce. But you take Debo out of the equation, and the 49ers... Forget competing atop the NFC with the Rams and Bucks. I don't even know if the 49ers make the playoffs without Debo Samuel. That's how important this guy is to their offense. I don't know how they score points without Debo Samuel. So I think right now he's in the driver's seat. Yes, of course, you know, he could always end up getting traded somewhere. Maybe he doesn't want to be, but he'll get paid. He'll get paid. And the 49ers, they're the team that has everything to lose. They're the team that can go from minutes away from Super Bowl 56 to potentially missing the playoffs because they can't get a first down. That, that's what they're looking at here. Now, the NFL is sending a really weird, complex, mixed message right now with how wide receivers have been handled this offseason. You've got two completely different sides. You've got teams that have been successful, that have not only been successful, but had sustained success the past few years. You've got the Packers, the Chiefs with Tyreek Hill, uh, the Tennessee Titans, and the 49ers with A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel, respectively, these teams that have had success are tremendously undervaluing the wide receiver position. Packers didn't want to pay Devontae, traded him to Las Vegas. Chiefs weren't going to pay Tyreek, traded him to Miami. Now the 49ers and Titans don't seem like they're going to pay Debo and A.J. Brown. And then you've got the other side of it. You've got teams that have experienced flurries of success, in recent seasons, the Raiders this past year, they went and got Devontae, the Dolphins a couple years ago, and then this year, of course, after starting 1-7, and seven, they finished 9-8, and eight, had a great second half, just wasn't enough to make the playoffs. They go out, they get Tyreek Hill, both teams gave up some draft capital, both teams signed their respective wideouts to game-changing extensions, and it's going to be interesting to see which side gets it right. Will the Chiefs and Packers, and then eventually the Titans and 49ers, if and when they find a new landing spot for A.J. Brown and Debo, will those four teams be able to sustain their success? Will wide receivers become the new running backs in terms of teams viewing them as replaceable and not worth that big payday after some failed experiments like Ezekiel Elliott and some others? Or will they regret it? Will the Packers, you know, continue to to bottom out in the playoffs and not be able to get back to the Super Bowl? Or will they even somehow, you know, if the Vikings have a good year, will the Packers maybe miss the playoffs altogether? Will the Chiefs not win the division? Don't forget, this is a team that has not only made it to, but has hosted four straight AFC championship games. They now play in the best division in football, arguably the best division in NFL history. I mean, could the Chiefs go first to worst here? Just not winning the division of course, by their standards, the past half a decade would be really disappointing. So what happens in Kansas City now? Mahomes is the best young quarterback in the game. Will he still be able to lead that team to winning the division, to deep postseason runs, throwing to Juju and Valdez Scantling as opposed to Tyreek Hill? It's going to be really interesting to see how the Packers, the Chiefs, potentially the Titans and 49ers fare, and also how the Raiders and Dolphins do. If they kind of plateau from where they both were a season ago, 9-10 win teams, or if they do with their star wideouts, take that next step, take that leap into, you know, competing with Buffalo and Kansas City to try to take over 
their respective divisions. A lot of questions about the wide receiver position are going to be answered. A lot of questions about the NFL draft are going to be answered in this next segment. Mike Golick Jr. is all set to join this episode of Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. Stay locked in. You're listening to the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio. We're back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. You're listening to Sports Map Radio and joining the show now. He is one of the best personalities in the business, and I believe now he's the most famous Golik. It's Mike Golik Jr. Mike, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, I, I will take that one right now just because Dad's not here to defend himself. Appreciate <laughs> it, man. If he was here, be honest, would you be a little afraid of him? I, I wouldn't be afraid of him, but I definitely wouldn't get away with claiming that, and, and, and quite honestly, probably with good reason. So <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep that, though. I know all his injury spots, so genuine <laughs> fear. We waved bye-bye to that a long time ago. <laughs> Well, Mike, look, a lot's happened this year, man. I mean, you dipped a cookie in mayo on live national television. You've got some career moves in the works at the moment. But I think most importantly, you officiated your own sister's wedding last weekend. Was that on your 2022 bingo card? It wasn't, but man, it was a cool one to get to add to the list. I, I joked that I'm like Katherine Heigl in the movie 27 Dresses, where <laughs> I've done pretty much everything else outside of being the groom that you can do at a wedding and so it, it was really a cool honor you know my sister and her husband when they asked me I was thrilled but it was also something I hadn't done before we always talk about reps in this industry and I had no reps under my belt as an efficient but we got through it I didn't stumble any of my words which I would expect being someone that does this pretty often but I also managed to get through it without breaking down and crying which again to bring up my father he cannot say about his father-daughter toast or the father-daughter dance. So he was a weeping willow in that. And I somehow managed to defy anyone's bet going into that. If you had asked any of my friends, they'd have thought I'd have been a weeping mess. So managed to keep it together, but it was a really fun day. Yeah, that's impressive because from the little I know you, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know you all that well, but I see you a couple times a year for the past few years. I would have even guessed that you would have broken down at some point. It would have been the right bet. It would have been smart money laid down there. I surprised myself as much as anything. <laughs> Well, look, I'm hoping you surprise yourself again. You know, you've had some time off in between gigs here. And with Jesse Palmer being the new host of The Bachelor, Mike, you, you talk about not being the groom yet. It seems like this is something where the timing could be right. What do you think? Do you have that in now to The Bachelor? Uh, you know what? Jesse, first off, has done an outstanding job filling in for Chris Harrison here. Uh, I think he's been incredible. Absolutely not. And if my mom is listening to this for some reason, because I'm sure her ears are getting red on this one, mom, absolutely not. There are a few places on earth I want to be less than in the Bachelor Mansion. The only thing I will say as a caveat to that is I would not like to be there as a contestant on either program, but I would love to be there as the broadcast voice for any of the sports-related dates. They usually always have one a season, and they've got someone coming in to do play-by-play or color commentary. Let me do this. It is right in my wheelhouse. Jesse's got to do all the hosting, so we don't need to trouble him with this. And let us have a nice one- to two-man booth there for a lot of these sports themes dates. That'll continue to be my pitch. Even though I'm no longer part of the Disney ABC family, I still firmly believe that we can make beautiful, beautiful music on that together. Uh, I, I love the pitch. I hope someone important hears that, Mike, because it, it needs to happen. Although it really is shocking for me to think that if Jesse came to you and said, do you want to be the next Bachelor, you'd turn it down. You know what? It would be obviously a great step and we've had a lot of former football players that have wound up there you know uh, the most recent recent bachelors really there's been probably three football players 
in the most recent run and to have an offensive lineman be able to represent on that stage would be a massive step forward in large people relations. But at the same time, I'm already bad at remembering names. Jesse Palmer <laughs> is part of my favorite bachelor moment in history where he said the wrong name at the Rose ceremony and they had to stop it, go back and try and undo the mistake that he made. And I know I would do that and worse. And quite honestly, just knowing that you're not allowed to eat the food on those dates for the continuity editing purposes, yeah. that just goes against everything I stand for as a person. <laughs> and so I cannot be a part of something as a active participant. I will continue to be a fan and support the franchise, but I got to be able to eat the damn food. Yeah, I'm with you on the food purpose. That, that would be a separate clause in the contract. You, know, you got to let me eat it. Hey, Mike, I want to get to the draft. Obviously, you are everyone's resident Kyle Hamilton advocate. <laughs> Your guy out of Notre Dame, he is one of one. He is one of the most dominant uh, defensive backfield players that we've seen in college football last decade or so. But he's slipping on draft boards, and it's strictly because he plays the safety position. What do you think about that, Mike? What's his ceiling? Where do you think he should be taken? Any good fits for him in your mind? Yeah, I, I think so there's all these conversations baked into what's going on with Kyle. We do the positional value thing almost every year. Obviously the position du jour for that has been running back as of late, trying to figure out what we do with that position. But in a league right now where you're seeing so much of the copycat on defense to stop these high power Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen offenses that are especially going to be chalk loaded in the AFC this season, you've seen people go, we heard all last year, the two high, two high shell defenses that are there to take away the big plays and all of this. And the conversation heading into the draft right now has been, well, if you're going to be playing in a league that prioritizes that, you're going to need long, rangy, and dynamic safety prospects who can do a lot of different things. And my God, if you turn on Kyle Hamilton, I know there are some people out there that appear to have different opinions on this, but I don't know how you can watch a Notre Dame game from the last three years and not see a guy who no matter where they lined him up, whether it was a low-hanging defender in that slot hole gap, guarding tight ends and running backs man-to-man, -man, whether it was back as a true safety in the deep field, all over the field, this guy managed to make an impact. The 40-time may have scared some people off. Again, turn on the tape, and if you, see, if you see a player that plays slow to me, let me know because I'll go and get my vision checked because all I saw was a guy <laughs> – that basically looked like a pterodactyl in pads back there making plays for them. So I think he's a top five prospect in this draft. I think he's a top five talent in this draft. I think injury has been a part of his career that maybe people haven't talked about as much. You know, last season, part of that was being safe and understanding that you wanted to make sure that guy got to the draft as the Notre Dame season looked like it wasn't going to head towards the playoffs once they got down the stretch. But uh, I think anyone, uh, again, in this new NFL where – that's going to be the priority versatility down the middle of the field, especially with all the potent tight ends that you've got in the NFL and in the AFC. I think having a guy like that is invaluable because he's maybe the most special athlete Notre Dame's had in the last two decades. This has been a program that's been dominated by offensive line, defensive line, tight end prospects, but we really haven't had defensive secondary players of this caliber before. And since Kyle stepped on campus, he has been different. You talk to coaches and the way he processes the game is different. All of it is at such a high level that I think he can't miss. And I think all of the, the talk of his demise or falling down draft boards won't be reflected by actual NFL teams that look at what they've got in front of them. Well, I will say this. If the Jets are still standing there picking at 10 and Kyle Hamilton's on the board, Mike, I think that he is the no-brainer pick for the Jets right there. 
Now, Mike, looking at offensive line prospects, you've got this big three, right? You've got Charles Cross, Iki Aquanu, Evan Neal, and they're probably all going to go top 10. After those three, though, there is a guy out of Tulsa named Tyler Smith, who right now is looking like a late first round pick. You've spent an odd amount of time around this Tulsa football team the past two years. What have you seen from Tyler Smith? What would a team maybe who needs an offensive lineman after that big three is off the board be getting out of Tyler Smith? Yeah, I, I, and I think with Tyler, he he should ultimately be, you know, and I, again, I say should. I hope all these guys go as high as they possibly can and make a bleep ton of money. Like, that, that's what I root for. This is uh, an occasion to watch young men change their lives and a lot of instances change their families' lives forever. But I, I think ultimately where he's at as a player right now is going to be a day two, maybe even day three player. But what you're getting is incredible physical upside because Tyler is – Everything you want demeanor-wise from an offensive lineman, we always talk about that nasty streak and how it manifests. Go turn on the Cincinnati game last year. College game day came to Cincinnati for the first time in the school's history, and Tulsa decided we were going to almost play spoiler. They were about three inches away from upsetting that game and keeping Cincinnati out of the college football playoff, and it was because they physically manhandled them up front. And I think Tyler was really the tip of the spear on offense for them on that side. He's a guy who technically is a little bit raw. Ironically, if you look across at right tackle on Tulsa, his line mate, Chris Paul, a much more technically concise player on that side, maybe not with the nasty streak. But I always said, if you put those guys together, you've got a guy that would challenge near the top of this because Tyler's an incredibly gifted athlete. He's explosive off the ball. He gets into defenders and takes all the air out of the block. He's just got to clean up some of the things with his hands, a little bit of the footwork. Some of that is still pretty raw. But Mike Tomlin always said, I'd rather say woe than sick him. I'd have to, rather have to pull a guy back effort and energy-wise than have to coach that there. So you're going to get someone that if you get him in the right locker room with a good group of veterans or a good coach that could really develop, I think, into a high-end starter just with the ability and the demeanor that he's got. Is there a pro comp that you have for him with that mean streak? A pro comp? I not one that I can think of because he's really unique. It's not like Quentin Nelson where he's just a bull, you know, where Quentin's yeah. going to go out there and you're going to hear him screaming on NFL <laughs> films and all that stuff. But, man, did Tyler, you just watch him get his hands on guys. And then all of a sudden, he's just taking them for a walk all the way through the play. And his suddenness out of his stance to me is such an interesting part of this. People always talk about first step for a defensive player, for a defensive lineman getting into someone it's just as valuable on the offensive side for you to be able to get those first two steps into a defender and really capture an edge if you're a tackle, really start to get movement if you're drive blocking up in the interior. And I just think that's an area where he separates and is going to help him in the meantime until the hands start to join the party in the way they need to. I love it. I can't wait to see which team ends up taking him, Mike. Hey, before I let you go, you've got a new thick six shirt coming out, Mike. What's going on with this shirt? Tell us a little bit about it and where, of course, we can get it. Yeah, so this one was pretty cool. Uh, for the last few years now, pretty organically, it's grown. The thick six, the big boy touchdown. I've always said it's more of a feel thing than any specific requirements that you need. But when an offensive or defensive lineman finds their way into the end zone, it's a beautiful thing. It's one of God's greatest joys. And so the thick six started to grow as a phenomenon. You saw NFL teams and college teams tweeting about it, signs at college game day. And so I thought, what a great opportunity to not only give big people, give large excellence a banner to fly under with a shirt, 
but to also do some good with it. And so the folks at Home Field Apparel, who have been one of the premier apparel brands for college athletics for a while now and do such a great job, are partnering up with this April 24th, 10 o'clock Eastern. People are going to be able to buy this shirt. It's awesome. We're going to be previewing what it looks like coming up here in the, in the uh, following days. But all the proceeds from this are going to go towards Feeding America. We figured it's great because as big people, you know, we get to eat a lot. We like to eat a lot. We also understand, and especially in the last couple of years have seen, that's not a reality for anyone, everyone, that food insecurity has been unfortunately far too large and far too much of a part of what goes on in this country where that shouldn't be the case. And so we have a chance now to both celebrate large excellence, celebrate big people doing great things and help feed others in the process, help give back and, and help do it in a way that seems very synonymous with the lines of scrimmage that we're talking about here. So again, Homefield Apparel at home, homefieldapparel.com. You can check them out on Twitter as well at the same name, April 24th, 10 a.m. Eastern. Those shirts will go live and all of the proceeds going towards feeding America. So you can do some good and look good. They're big boy approved. They're long, <laughs> they're baggy in the, in the torso right here. They go all the way up to four X because this is obviously a shirt by big people for big people. So very <laughs> excited about that one and super grateful for the folks at home field. They've always been great friends on the internet. And now they are a great partner in this venture. Amazing. Mike, you're the best. Thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks Joe. Mike Golick Jr. Go follow him on Twitter. If you don't already, you won't regret that one. When we come back, my final word, and I'm switching things up a little bit today. I'm giving out my favorite bet for tonight's NBA playoff games. So don't go anywhere. Stay locked in. You're listening to Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, and the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio. All right, it's time for my final word on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. As we conclude this Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio on your Friday evening, what a great spot right there by Mike Golick Jr. Always, like I said, good for some great analysis and guaranteed to give you a few laughs along the way. I want to switch things up with my final word and give out my favorite bet of the night, my play of the day. I'm looking at this Phoenix Suns, New Orleans Pelicans game three, and I love Jay Crowder to go over nine and a half points in this game. We talked earlier in the show about Devin Booker missing the rest of the series, maybe even the next one. Other guys are going to have to step up. Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, they are the obvious candidates. But Jay Crowder was so instrumental for Phoenix in their postseason run a year ago, even though he's tapered off a bit lately and second half of this season was far from superb. I think Crowder gets it going tonight in 11 games played without Devin Booker this season. He has scored in double figures eight times and in 20 games this season where Crowder attempted 10 or more shots, he scored in double figures in 16 of those 20 contests. That's an 80% clip. That's enough for me tonight to make Jay Crowder over nine and a half points, my play of the day. And I think Phoenix goes to New Orleans, despite the Pelicans having the momentum riding from the second half of game two. I think Phoenix goes down there and wins game three. This is just too complete of a team. They've dealt with all sorts of adversity. They've dealt with Chris Paul being sidelined for a period of time. They've dealt with Devin Booker being sidelined for over a dozen games this season. I think the Phoenix Suns will be just fine. I think Jay Crowder 
is going to have a humongous game tonight. C.J. McCollum is playing well on both sides of the ball. Chris Paul could have some trouble. DeAndre Ayton hasn't put up more than 21 points in four games against the Pelicans this year. Crowder is going to be the guy to step it up. And just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. Special thanks to my guy, Mike Golick Jr., for joining the show today. The NFL Draft is just six days away. I'll be back with you guys right here, same time, next Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We'll be wrapping up night one of the draft and, of course, looking ahead to day two. That does it for the Believe Hour on SportsMap Radio. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.